It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. This series is sponsored by Safer Roads GM, helping us to keep ourselves and each other safe on the roads of Manchester. This week, I'm joined by 95-year-old ex-Royal Marine Commando and D-Day veteran, George Sims. George talks about his experiences in the Second World War. I still wake up at night and think about it, you know, how bad it was. Cannot imagine or describe what, what, what it was. There was that much ammunition flying about. And he tells me why he loves Manchester. I'm always proud of it. Anybody asks me where I've where come from, I always tell them Manchester. And I always tell them what an over city it is. It's an absolute privilege and an honour uh, to be joined today by a chap who at 95 years old is one of the last living survivors of the D-Day landings in Normandy. He joined the Royal Marines as a commando at age 18. Went on to witness some of the Second World War's fiercest fighting. Still living in Manchester. Gives me great pleasure to welcome George Sims. How are you, man? Very well, thank you, sir. It's lovely to see you. And you? I've read a lot about you. Your amazing story. 
We're going to talk about everything that we can, uh, but we're going to start right at the beginning. Tell us about where you were born, George. Where and when were you born? I was born in Hardwick, Emma Street, Hardwick. 1923? Yeah, 1923, yeah. yeah. It was a special day of the year, wasn't it? It certainly was, yeah. Christmas Eve, That's yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have many memories of uh, growing up in that part of the world, Hardwick? Yeah, I remember everything about it. What kind of mischief did you get up to as a kid? I got none. none. All I got was being bloody trouble. <laughs> <laughs> did you get in lumber a lot? I did, but not through my fault. I, I had a, a drunken father and yeah. I had two sisters that used to look after me. Hated every minute of it. Really? Yeah. So you didn't enjoy childhood at all? I didn't enjoy no. it. I didn't one little bit. I was frightened to death. Theo was used to sleep in the bed, me and my two sisters, and when we used to hear him coming up drunk, we used to all get all go up together. Wow. It's funny, it's a story that you hear quite a lot of that, that generation in this part of the world. There seems to be quite a lot of that going on, didn't well, there? Well, what they went, it was, it was the aftermath of the First World War. He was wounded four times. Now, I don't blame him, and I don't... I hate him for it, but when I was a kid, I did, I hated him. I was mm. frightened to bloody death of him. That was one of my questions, was being born in uh, 1923, as a child, you, your memories must have been overshadowed by the um, the aftermath of World War One. It was, exactly, yeah. yeah. And did you ever dream, as you were growing up, that you might be in the military yourself one day? No, no, but I'm glad I was, because right. that was my ambition, to have so good bloody belt in when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get on at school then, George? I did very well at school. Did you? I really did, yeah. I was frightened to death of the bloody teachers like I was of him, so yeah. I was never in any trouble at all. What did you prosper at? Were you good at sport? I was good at all sports, football, cricket, any, anything that was, you know, plenty of energy. Yeah, I was yeah. very good at sports. Was the Apollo built then, or was the Apollo not there? Yeah, the Apollo was there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, there was yeah. another big music hall across the street. Was it like an hippodrome or something? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, well, that was good. Did yeah. you ever get to go to those places in your youth? No, I did. When I got older, one of my eldest daughter's sisters used to take me, but apart from that, I didn't know. Right. It was money with no money, so yes. I think partly the money was probably an object, but also time-wise, by the time you... We're at the age of going out. The war was on, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And sadly, you lost your mum really young, didn't you? You were 11 when your mum passed away. I was 11 when my mother died, yeah. And I missed her like hell. Yeah. Because she was bloody army between me and him. Yeah. And your first job was, uh, you got a job as a, a butcher's lad, didn't butcher's you? Butcher's boy, yeah. Butcher's boy. Yeah, I enjoyed that. What did that entail? Was it like delivering meat or was it chopping up? It was nice because the people that I worked with were f very good with me. They bought all my clothes, uh, butcher's clothes and everything because he wouldn't buy now. We had um, a scheme in Manchester where poor children could go to Blackpool for a week in, in a camp, boys' camp, and he wouldn't pay the bloody shilling it was to go. Really? And the teacher paid it. And from this day, I always regret never meeting that teacher when I grew up and thanking her. What was the teacher called, George? Butterworth. Yeah. Mr Butterworth. Yeah. Did a family take you under their wing when your mother died? There were two or three families. Most of them were relations. But after the relations had all taken turn of having me, my youngest sister was a Salvation Army person. And uh, all her friends in the Salvation Army took turns in having me. In Gorton, yeah. there was a, a corps, what they call a corps in Gorton, to do with the Salvation Army, and they was absolutely wonderful with us, all the favours. And whenever one didn't want us, they would go around and one of them would take us, and they had us for years. 
it's great that you can still remember that part of your life after everything that happened subsequently that you can still think back to 83, 84 years ago when these people were looking after you. It's incredible, yeah. that. And the Salvation Armies, I absolutely worship them. Any money I ever earn now or get, I always donate it to the Salvation Army yeah. because they were so good to us. And yet, strangely enough, none of them have ever got in touch with me since I've grown up. Really? Get on the email. Do you have email? <laughs> you don't have email? No, I don't, no, never had an email. I wouldn't know what to do with it. At what point did you decide that you are going to be joining the military? Because you wanted to get into the Navy first. Didn't you? So when did this idea start about that as a profession? When I was butchering and I realised that such a lot of nice people about who looked after me, I thought the best I can do is join the Navy if I wanted to join. Yeah and fight the Germans. But I couldn't get in the Navy, but they said you can come in the Royal Marines. So I joined the Royal Marines. It's the nearest thing to them. And they've been absolutely wonderful with me. They really have. You joined the Marines. The war was already two years old, wasn't it, when you joined? Yeah. So you, and were you, were you getting like day-to-day -day reports of what was going on in Europe? I know the news was different than it is now, but were you aware of how horrific some of these uh, battles were that were going on already when you signed up? Yeah. You still, you, was, yeah. you still wanted to be part of it. It was your totally your. You joined as a volunteer. You weren't like enlisted or anything. You joined because you wanted to do it, didn't you? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And how come you ended up joining the commandos? Well, I wanted to go in one which was the best and saw the most action, and that was the Royal Marine Commandos. And I, I got in. I went through all the courses, physical and medical, yeah. and I got through with no problem. And that was age eighteen when you joined. Yeah. By 20, you were on the battlefield, weren't you? Yeah. Starting off in, uh, was it Sicily, your first uh, first action that you saw? You went out to Sicily? Well, the first action I saw was in Sicily, when we, we did the invasion of Sicily, and we landed on the beaches. And the 8th Army was coming through North Africa, and they were coming through us to get to Sicily. And uh, it was quite hectic. We got bombed. We got The ship I was on, got bombed, and it, I ended up in North Africa, in hospital, through wounds that I got on that ship. And a lot of your friends died on that attack, was it 14? They certainly did, yeah. 14 of your friends died in that yeah. attack. Uh, it was called HMS Queen Emma, yeah. the ship that was on. And this was another incredible moment in time in terms of world history. This was the bringing down of Mussolini, this bit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a massive part of the world's history that you were part of there. You must be very proud of some of the things you've done over the years. In terms I of certainly am, because after I had all my, all my medical gear in, in North Africa, I came back to England, and the Royal Marines joined me again, but they couldn't take me in action because I'd already been in action, but I could be a, a, what they called a, an MOA, a Marine, a Marine officer's attendant, yeah. and that's what they made me. And, and I joined the... I went to the next landing as this officer's attendant, and they got bloody wounded again. So this is this is not just another landing. This is D-Day, isn't it? We're talking about here. Yeah. Normandy. Yeah. So you trained in England to be part of that. It was a top secret thing you were part of, wasn't it? It certainly was. We was in a sealed camp in Southampton. We yeah. couldn't rise out. We couldn't have mail come in. Yeah. You just completely cut off from the outside world because only you guys and your bosses knew what the task was going to be. Exactly. And yeah. what was the mission that was laid out in front of you? You can talk about it now, can't you? All, all these years after. Yeah. What were they going to send you to do? Well, actually, we did all our training and we all passed it. And they couldn't put accommodators in any, any barracks, so they put us in civilian barracks and they took us to down the street, a, a company of us, 
and one at a time a policeman would pick us out and say, say to knock at the first door, have you got any badge? And they say, yes, one, like one of you in here, two of you in here. And we, they got all of us in civilian billets. And it was bloody great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it really was. Stupid like being at home. <laughs> it was, it was lovely. And people looked after you because they appreciate what you're doing. Wonderful. You... And I've never been in touch with them since. Right. No, they all lived on the Isle of Wight. They all got families of their own. Just moved them about and got us, got one of us in each each one. And we was with them for bloody months and months, and they were lovely with us. I don't know how they got, got the rations because people were rash. They must have given ration books or something. But we never found out anything what they did, what they paid them or anything. In terms of the mission that lay ahead, the uh, the Normandy landings, did you have any idea what to expect when you got there? Or did you just think we'll just land on the beach and just... We never realised how bad it was, because once we met the Germans and they were fighting, we, we hadn't a clue what we were doing. We were, they were taking into landings and half the ships never landed. So yeah. the, everybody was on them was in the bloody water. We've seen films of these, we've seen dramatisations of that, that era. We've seen actual library footage. We've heard people's horrific accounts of what it was like. We'll try and describe for you as a 20-year-old lad from Hardwick, Manchester, what was it like for you personally? You cannot imagine or describe what 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 it was. There was that much ammunition flying about, yeah. and nobody knew what they were doing or where they were going. All he was doing is trying to dig in the ground to get away from it. And you're getting attacked from the air as well. You're getting bombed, weren't you, by yeah. low-flying planes. And you lost a lot of friends on that beach as well, didn't you, a lot of your comrades? I certainly did, yeah. People you knew personally? Oh, yeah, person that you've been friends with for years and trained with uh, were dead. And you used to meet them on the beach with their heads off because they were getting wounded in the bloody neck. You know what the dastest thing they did with us? They took our steel helmets off us and yeah. gave us green bellies and said, oh, you're not landing in steel helmets. And half of them got bloody wounded in the head. I've actually read this story. So as you guys approached the beaches at Normandy, you were ordered to take your helmets off and put green berries on instead because somebody thought it would uh, actually scare the Germans. I can't believe how stupid that order was because all the gunfire was from hills above us yeah. and it was all head high. Shooting so everybody head, was getting it, was getting it in the bloody head. Yeah. And these people are supposed to be, supposed to be bloody clever. I still wake up at night and think about it, you know, try and think and how bad it was. Yeah. And the only thing I can think about it that was any good that what my father must have gone through in the First World War, he was actually in India when the war broke out. And what he must have gone through, compared with what I went through, mine was nothing. Mm. That, that's why he was such a bloody drunkard, drinking yeah. bloody beer all the time. I actually forgived him at the end of my life, you know, for what yeah. he did. Have you found peace with the fact that you were dealt such a difficult hand in life? Through religion now, I'm not a religious person, but I always go to church, and I've learned a lot through that. Yeah. I really have. With the periods of your life, I know you do a lot of talking, you, know, you tell your story to a lot of people, you go to schools. Has there been times of your life when you didn't want to talk about what you went through? No. The first school I went to was a Jewish school, and there were about 50 children there, and they split them up and they gave me so many and they said, right, go and talk to George and you can call him George. And the, <laughs> not the first thing that they asked me, did we win the war? 
Yeah, did we win the war? And they were lovely kids. It really was. And every one of them, I put their hand up and had some question to ask me. And I just answered them like I'm not answering you, as honest as I could. And they were lovely kids. They really was. And that's a, a Jewish school. Amazing. Do you ever tire of telling the story? Do you ever wake up some days and say, I don't want to talk about it today? I do sometimes. Yes, I do. Uh, I often think people who think I'm exaggerating, and I don't like them to think that. So I say, oh, I'm not, I'm not bothered today, I don't want to go. But I, I never get exaggerated because I haven't got the bloody brains to think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> You've still got shrapnel in your body, haven't you, George? I certainly have. And I had some tech now in, in uh, Switzerland. Did no, say- not Switzerland. What was the name? Sheffield. 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 <laughs> it's near yeah, Switzerland. It was to Sheffield and removed all, all the scalpel they could find. Did you save it? Have you still got I, it? I didn't, then lost it. Oh, you when, when, when Once when my mother moved, she must have lost it because she, <laughs> when I never found it after that. Right. No. What have you still got left in your body then, George, metal-wise? Well, only, uh, the only thing is um, peppered. What they call peppered, and they wouldn't bother to take that out. And that was only bits of Shackmore, but yeah. mostly of the boat that went down. But uh, I've got none on me, and I don't want any. You brought some very special metal in, though. You brought your medals, haven't you, to show me? I've got my medals, yeah. They're beautiful. So tell us what your medals are, George. What's the biggest one you very proudly got yeah. there, the, the French one? It was a medal that was given to you by the, uh, the French government uh, yeah. fairly recently, wasn't it? Yeah. As a way of saying thank you for what you contributed. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, that, isn't it? And that's the one you're most proud of. And you had to actually land on D-Day and stay there the whole D-Day. And that, that's the medal you got. And they were all handmade. I think they're the same on the back as they are on the front. It's a beautiful thing. I'm looking at it now and it's absolutely well, it's gorgeous. A nice, it? It's a nice medal, that. Yeah. The others are just the normal service medals. French and German, Italian. There's one there from being wounded being when I was in, in, in hospital. But you know the strange thing about these is, in the First World War, my father got four medals for being wounded, and his name was engraved over, no no names on these. Oh, they not put your name on? No, not more, just mine, nobody right. that got a medal from the Second World War wasn't engraved. That's incredible, isn't it? It's unusual, that. Not even on the sides, you used no. to put the names on the sides, No, that's they? where my dad's was, on yeah. the side, there's nothing on these. Right. So anybody could pick that up and, and wear pretend. them and say they were theirs. You could pretend they're yours even if they're not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great thing and we're all very excited that you've come to talk to us. This is a very special yeah, moment for us. I'm proud I did it now. At the time I was fighting to death, but I went through it and that was it. You got demobilised in 1946. Yeah. You married your childhood sweetheart, Connie, in 1945, didn't you? Yeah. And I joined the fire again and did 30 years. In Stockport. In Stockport Fire Brigade. Yeah. Tell us about Connie. What was Connie like? Absolutely beautiful. She was a beautiful mother, good looking, and beautiful with the kids. And then she was married to this pig. <laughs> yeah. And I do know that you took care of her to the very end of her life, George, and she must have been a very lucky lady. You've got lots of uh, grandchildren as well now, haven't you, George? And great-grandchildren? Yeah. Do they come and visit you at Broughton House? Yeah. George lives in this amazing building, uh, which I've yet to visit, but it's in Broughton, which is part of Manchester. Come, don't they <laughs> And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a care home for, uh, for veterans, wounded veterans. It was set up in 1916, so during the First World War, this place was built, and it's still in action now. It's a big charity, and it Broughton House. Is it a lovely place to live, George? I love every minute of it. Did they look after you? Dead kind. Oh, I like this lady. <laughs> She's the boss. Not the- 
Big shout out to April there <laughs> and Reese in the corner as well. Just while we're talking about Broughton House, I'll just mention right here that it's um, it's a charity. This was built in 1916 during the First World War to help people coming home from service that were wounded. Um, they're going through a big renovation, rebuild at the moment. They're looking for 14 million quid. They've already raised 11 and a half million pound. If you want to read about how you can get involved, donating, www.broughtonhouse, that's Broughton with a G, dot com. Uh, get on there. It's an amazing facility and they need your help. You brought your photograph album. I know this is just a podcast, but you've actually brought your uh, your photo album as well with some memories in it. So this is a book full of photographs, press cut, yeah. cuttings, certificates. That's, that was the one from rescuing a, a lady in a, in a burning house. You rescued a lady yeah. from a burning house yeah. in Stockport. I'm going to change the woman later. And also delivered a baby. Amazing. That's in here. Not on the same trip, hopefully. That's my fire, fire service things. How did you, your days in the fire service, bearing in mind the war had ended at this point, how was the, your career as a fireman compared to your career oh, as a soldier? I enjoyed every minute of it. it the comradeship with the men and everything was wonderful. Was that an happy time of your life, George, being a fireman? Yes. Starting your family with it Connie? It certainly was, yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Yes, three sons. Three yeah. boys. And they all became teachers. Oh, did and they? they're all now retired. You mentioned um, going out. Where did you used to go out? Did you used to go out dancing like through the 50s and 60s? No. You didn't? I can't, I can't dance a step. <laughs> Drinking? I, I, I regret it now because anybody, I know the lads that I'm with now, some of them can dance and it's really great to be able to do. It really is. Hey, it's never too late to start, you know. <laughs> I don't know about 95, no, it's too late. I can hardly walk. <laughs> There's a nice story about the fact that you got reunited with uh, your corporal that you worked under on at D-Day. Many years later, in recent years, you've, you've been reunited with your old corporal friend, haven't you? Through your granddaughter. Was your granddaughter Becky working as a nurse in Somerset? Yes, she is. Yes, and she was yes. looking after an older lady. Yeah. And during the conversations... I, I, she recognised my name, That's yeah. right. Yeah, they invited us down. Yeah. We stayed with them in Somerset for... Overnight, me and the three sons. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to meet the corporal that you'd not seen for all those years. He was the commanding officer. Right. Yeah. He, he, we met him and we got a photograph for him, haven't we? He was home. It's a nice story, isn't it? it was, I thought that was a wonderful thing to get that of him. Yeah. And he's in his nine, nearly 100, I think, now. Wow. Because last time Alan wrote to him, he had got a funny letter back. So we were seen to think he's got his mood in it a bit. Right. Okay. What do you think of Manchester as a place to live, George? Do you, do you love it? I love every minute of it. I really do. Do you get to see the city centre much? I know you live out in Broughton, just outside the city centre. Do you get to go into the middle of Manchester? It was the last time I was here. I was at school and it was like a bloody dump. Absolutely like a pigsty. I could not believe it's the same place. There was no, no flats or nothing like that. Just so poor people, you know, living on, on the wits. I, I was amazed the first time they took me down there, how nice it was. And they've taken me two or three times since. It's a beautiful city to be part of. We're all very privileged to live here, I think. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Let's talk about your favourite humans of Manchester. Who would they be? Your, your, the key people in your life who have inspired you and influenced you. Give us a few names. That teacher, Butterworth, that gave me that shilling to have a holiday. All the others were going, my dad wouldn't give me a shilling, yeah. and he gave it me. He's the only person I ever went, saw that I never saw when I was an adult and could shake his hand and thank him for what he did. When he was a teacher in Manchester, his name was Butterworth. 
I don't know his first name because I don't think they told us first names in them days. Yeah, Mr. Butterworth. Yeah, right, brilliant. Anybody else? Any other influential people? What about sport? Did you follow sport? Not really, no, because with no money for anything like that, no. Right. I, I'm all used to watch the local football teams and all that, but nothing. I used to go to Main Road occasionally. I had a neighbour that used to take me to Main Road. Uh, because we lived a few doors from him, and he used to go on a Saturday, and he used to knock on the door and say, come on, George, put your coat on, and take him and watch the football. Brilliant, at the old city ground. You mentioned before, George, how your religion has helped you through the years. Tell us a bit more about that. Christianity is a wonderful thing, and, and I'm not, I don't preach Christianity, but I've always thought about, about being a Christian, and I think that's a wonderful thing to be. I really do. I think you're a very good person, George. Try and describe Manchester in three words. I'm always proud of it. Anybody asks me where I've where come from, I always tell them Manchester. And I always tell them what an over city it is. And I used to think it was. We, we, we could go anywhere. We are never frightened of going out at night or anything. It was lovely. What about Mancunian and proud? Would that do you? Well, I am proud of being a Mancunian because anybody ever asks me is the first thing to say, Manchester. Brilliant. Huh? I really do. George Sims, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester and thank you from all of us for what you and your comrades did all them years ago. Thank you for your interview, sir. That was George Sims. Next week I'm joined by DJ and broadcaster Paulette Constable. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us, feel free to leave us a review. We always like to hear what you think of our work. Thanks again to our friends at Safer Roads, GM, for sponsoring this series and thank you for listening. See you next week. Just think it was a very good interview. Yeah, it was uh, good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, he is good. He is good. He is good. Yeah, it was lovely. What's oh, it called? Clint. Clint. That's his name. Clint. And is he the boss of this department? Well, well, he thinks he is. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.